Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Hard Run Box podcast for episode 14. We have got some AMD Threadripper discussion, including a very interesting platform update from Steve that is well worth uh, listening to. We've also got RTX 40 Super Series discussion. We'll talk about the rumors, what we expect to happen, what we hope will happen, and various things like that. But before we get into this week's podcast episode... Today's sponsor spot is brought to you by MSI's new range of GeForce RTX 40 Series Gaming Slim graphics cards, designed to deliver exceptionally fast performance for gamers and creators, but without the big bulky coolers that we've become accustomed to. The thinner and lighter design allows for hassle-free installation and better compatibility. All models are available in either black or white designs and take advantage of the latest Trifrosa 3 cooler with Torx 5.0 fans, a nickel-plated copper base plate with up to 8 heat pipes. Then, thanks to NVIDIA's Ada Lovelace architecture, you get AI-powered DLSS 3 and class-leading ray tracing support, along with competitive features such as Reflex. So to learn more about the all-new MSI GeForce RTX 40 series gaming slim graphics cards, please click the links in the video description. I am glad to be back here on the podcast episode. Uh, I enjoy talking to you every week. This is episode 14 and there's interesting things to talk about. So how are you doing, Steve? Pretty good. I won't go into detail just yet, but I've had I've had one of those mornings where I'm on to my third coffee. Delicious. <laughs> uh, third coffee. It's a third coffee morning already. Uh, well, it's 11 o'clock now for those who are not watching it live. Anyway... Rough morning, Tim, but I, I've decided to continue and go ahead with the podcast as scheduled, despite nice. my fr- frustrating morning, but I've made a little bit of headway. On my, anyway, I won't, I won't get too much into it. I'll, I'll let the, the conversation continue, and then I warn you I'll be doing a little bit of ranting. Oh, I love a good rant. And so what's mm. a normal morning for you in terms of coffee quantity? Like you're mentioning this is a three-coffee morning. You know me like a two-coffee guy in the morning? Usually two max. I usually just try to have one. They're not particularly strong, to be fair. But yeah, I usually have just the one. And yeah, that's that so serious me business. Yeah, three is serious business. Yes, yes. It's <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm very close to calling it a day, going having a nap, and then maybe playing some video games the rest of the day. But <laughs> we'll see. Sure. We'll see how the hour after the podcast goes. All right. Well, our first topic for today is talking about uh, AMD Threadripper because you mm. Threadripper CPUs that you benchmarked mm. on Hardware Unboxed a couple of days ago now. So did you want to give like a quick recap of what the CPUs are, <laughs> how they're going and the general uh, gist of things? Yes. I, I'll, I don't know what order to do this in, but basically 
my trauma today has been Threadripper related. So should I get that out of the way first or should we All summarize right, sure. that? No, um, okay. Just get, get into the rant first. We can talk about the CPUs later. Right. Okay. So I mentioned in my Threadripper review that we had a good experience with Threadripper 1000, 2000, and 3000, which I believe you are also using or have used. Uh, and mm-hmm. good experience yep. there with the 3970X. All went well. But I did have a lot of hiccups and problems with the 5995WX. We ended up trying to use that as a daily system for our video editor, Balin. And it was just one silly problem after another. A lot of them were motherboard related, but then we got a new motherboard. We even got a brand new CPU. We started over again, tried to solve our problems. And while a lot of them went away, we still had ongoing niggles, performance related problems where sometimes, you know, scrubbing through the timeline was you know, flawless, really fast, everything, the the 4 or 5.7K footage played back in real time, it was all great. And then hours later, it was just a mess. Like you'd have to reset the system Mm -hmm. and even that didn't help and you'd be getting stuttering and crashing and all kinds of weird things. So it went from being absolutely flawless to just a nightmare. And then sometimes you'd go to encode the video, you know, as you know, we're on deadline sometimes and we the encode just needs to work. And sometimes it encodes a 20-minute video just really fast, no dramas. And then other times it takes three, four, five times longer than it should. Sometimes we even had to give up and try other things to get it working. So 5995WX was a pain in the butt. One of the problems I mentioned that we were having was that we couldn't use a GeForce GPU in any of our Threadripper 5000 series systems. Just it didn't work, which was weird because we spoke to MSI about this problem And they said it was working for them. So we went back and forth a few times, couldn't work out the problem. But basically they they had the GeForce GPUs working. We could never get them to post. So you plug a GeForce GPU in, turn the computer on, and it's nothing but a black screen. So that was frustrating. We used a 7100 XTX, which worked fine anyway. That was in Balin's system up until I decided to do the thing that I did this morning. So Balin's been asking... When am I going to set him up with the 7980X so we can see how fast encoding is and how well that works compared to the 7950X 3D that he's currently using? And I said, I'll probably do it over the weekend. Anyway, Balaam wasn't coming until a bit later today, so I thought, you know what? Uh, I'm waiting for a few games to update on Steam. I've got an hour or so up my sleeve. How hard can this be? And I I said that to myself knowing just how hard it could be. Well, that's what always happens, right? You're like, I've got this small amount of time to do something mm -hmm. that should be simple and then Mm -hmm. everything goes wrong. Exactly right, which is why I thought I'll do it over the weekend so, you know, you can take your time and you can do other things while you're doing it. Anyway, made the regrettable decision to do it this morning. Again, it should be fairly straightforward. I took the storage out of Balin's PC. He had just a primary and a secondary SSD, put that in the new PC, And then because I used a 4090 for testing, I only had the 12-volt high-powered connector, and I'd done, silly me, had done quite neat cable management. So it was going to be a bit of a mess around to change the cables over. I thought, you know what, just for now, we won't put the 7900 XTX back in. We'll put a GeForce GPU just so I can plug that one power connector in because that's probably one of the only good things about that power connector is that it does simplify that process. So I plugged Mm -hmm. that in, put all his gear in it, didn't reset the BIOS or anything because it was working. XMP was loaded. It was all fine. It was dialed in. It was what we wanted. Pushed the power button and waited. 
nothing nothing on the screen so i thought you know what, i'm just going to leave this maybe it's doing some memory training which it shouldn't be doing but maybe it's doing that i'll just leave it for 10 minutes <clears throat> came back 10 minutes later still a black screen i'm like all right that's annoying so i just turned it off turned it back on again same 10 minute process nothing okay reset the bios turned it on did all the memory training i was watching it do that on the um led diagnostic stuff all seemed to work and the board seemed to think it was posting, but there was nothing on the screen. Power cycled the screens, unplugged and um, replugged the DisplayPort cables, did a whole heap of things messing around, reseated the SSDs in case they weren't seated quite correctly, because sometimes that can stop a system from posting. I thought, okay, I'll change the GeForce GPU to a different one. So I went from a 4070 Ti to a 4060, and then I went to a 4090. None of those worked. I think to myself, what is going on here? Like, this is just weird. Balen's using, which I'm also using on my workstation PC, those MSI 32-inch 144 hertz 4K displays. I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. the model number. It's like MQ something, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's like MPG321UR-QD. I think you've got those from memory. Yeah, but I'm going to say that's right because... Mm-hmm. I think so. That, that, that's a string of numbers and letters that are convincing to me. So <laughs> that's the monitors we're using and I thought, well, this worked flawlessly on my test system, which using a gigabyte 30-inch 4K 144Hz panel. Not exactly sure which one either, but... Mm-hmm. Um, I think you've got the M32U, I think. I think I, I think it, that might actually be right now that you say it. It's a, it's a much yeah. shorter, easier to remember model number. I should have got this worked out before, but anywho, I've, I've, had, a, I've had a morning. So after embarrassingly what was an hour of trying to get it working on Balen set up, I thought... I'm going to unplug everything. And Balin has 10 million USB devices, so that is a process in itself. So I unplugged all his USB stuff, moved the case over to the test system area, plugged the power in and the display, hit the power button, and then within like 30 seconds, it had posted. I was mm-hmm. like, huh, okay. So I turned it off, turned it back on again, posted straight to BIOS to be configured. I'm like, hmm, all right. Unplugged it, took it back over to Balin's monitors, dead, nothing. And that sort of was a bit of a light bulb moment because on the 5995WX system, which is obviously different CPU, different motherboard, completely different full built computer, we never ever got that to work with GeForce GPUs, which is weird because GeForce GPUs worked on a separate platform. Like, well, I think I'm using a GeForce GPU right now with those monitors, with DisplayPort Mm -hmm. cables, but on a completely different platform. So I think it worked on my Threadripper 3000. Uh, platform like my 3970x oh yeah i mean so I, there use, is... I use geforce with that right now and i mean not the same monitor but i've t- i would have tested i no, would have not reviewed the... that monitor using a geforce gpu it turns out that the geforce gpu isn't the problem well not entirely it's the monitor it's, it's a weird compatibility mm. co- hardware combination issue so Radeon GPUs have worked on all platforms with those monitors and any monitor that I've tried universally. Doesn't matter where, mm-hmm. where we stick a Radeon GPU, it works. For some reason, there's something the Threadripper boards are doing with the GeForce GPU that these displays, these MSI displays, aren't wanting to receive output. Some mm. weird compatibility issue there. So have you tried I still haven't got HDMI? it working. I haven't, and I don't really want to. Um, but I suspect that might work. I will try that just to find out, just so we have an extra Mm -hmm. troubleshooting box to tick. But my next step was going to be to put the 7900 XTX in 
and then mm-hmm. undo all the cable management, run the three eight pins to it, and I expect that, that will work. Right. Interesting. So it's like a very specific. It could be the combination of monitor, platform, and graphics card that triggers that bug. But any one of those things changed, and it might work totally mm. fine. That's very bizarre. Yeah. So I've been pulling my hair out all morning, wasting tons of time, and it turns out it's some sort of weird compatibility issue with the monitor and a GeForce GPU on a Threadripper 5000 mm-hmm. or 7000 system, but doesn't happen on the 3000 system. So I don't know what is... Yeah, anyway. It's hard to say in that, in that case as well, like which who's to blame there? Like where does the fault lie? Because... It could be any one of those components that isn't quite working correctly. And like, Mm -hmm. let's be honest, you know, there's all these specifications around display connections and things that people are supposed to follow and it's all written in big documents and things. But, you know, it's questionable as to how often those are followed to the letter. So -hmm. if there's any like slight deviations or things, it could just, yeah, just break compatibility with products. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not super familiar with how like, the posting system works through the GPU because I know that works a little differently to like when the OS is loaded in terms of like how the display output works. Yeah, that's a very bizarre issue. Um, And yeah, hopefully, yeah, someone in that sort of line of products can figure out exactly what's going on because I would imagine that would be the same bug that's come from the previous generation platform as well, you would think. Like it's something Mm -hmm. to do with the more recent Threadrippers. And, you know, like I said, I've got the, the 3970X I've never really seen. Not that I'm using that specific monitor, but yeah, I would have tested that monitor. I think I was using GeForce GPUs back then to test monitors. So yeah, I'm pretty sure it would be a more recent issue. Yeah, well, what I'm going to do is, and I'll report back uh, under the comment section of the YouTube version of this episode of the podcast, I will try an HDMI cable just out of interest to see if that works, and I'll let you guys know if it does or doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I'll install a Radeon GPU because I expect that will solve the problem. But in addition to that, I'll install a GeForce GPU on Balin's previous AM5 system and see if that posts on the monitors, which I'm pretty certain it does. Uh, I'm pretty sure this weird bug only happened with the Threadripper platforms, the most recent ones. But yeah, this is an obvious drawback about, well, a workstation high-end desktop platform is that you're more likely to run into these odd compatibility issues because there's just less people on the platform using, like we might mm-hmm. be the only people to date that have used that specific MSI monitor with a mm-hmm. GeForce GPU on that platform. Like we might be the only people who have done that. And that might've even been true for the 5000 series, which is why it never got fixed. Yeah, and I think this kind of reinforces my opinion that's based on not much testing or not too many facts that AMD GPUs have better display output um, compatibility at the moment, especially since the, you know, obviously there was a a range of issues with the 5000 series products back in the day with like black screens and multiple monitor Mm -hmm. configurations and things like that. And it seems like they did genuinely put in quite a bit of work to improving that because these days, you know, I test every monitor on both AMD and uh, NVIDIA GPUs because we found a couple of months ago that some monitors can perform differently on different GPUs, which is kind of a weird thing that I never really expected would happen, but it does happen. So now I test on both platforms. And continuously over the years, having moved my primary um, monitor test system to an, using an AMD GPU, the AMD GPU works better 
with monitors across a wide variety of monitors. So whether that's turning the monitors on at the correct resolution and refresh rate more often. So when you first set mm -hmm. up the monitor, AMD GPUs will almost certainly go to the maximum uh, refresh rate and resolution correctly. Whereas on GeForce GPUs, some of the time it will default to 60 hertz, which isn't too much, like it's not too much of an issue. You can just turn that up. But for, you know, more novice users that aren't necessarily getting, you know, if they don't know that that's a setting, you're going to be getting like a slower refresh rate experience. And at times just like, Sometimes using NVIDIA GPUs, it will suddenly stop using like 8-bit output and it will start using like a chroma subsampling output for some bizarre reason. Like I haven't changed anything. I'll just turn on the PC. Suddenly it's not at the same bit depth anymore. So I've got to go mm -hmm. back and change that. You know, multiple monitors. I've had times where three monitors on an NVIDIA GPU just won't, like it won't boot on various different systems. But you turn it down to two or one monitor and it will just boot. I've never really had that problem with AMD GPUs. I use multiple monitors for testing. Seems to work flawlessly. And I'm using a 6700 XT in that system at the moment, just for context for people wondering what GPU I'm using. And yeah, just it seems to work a lot more reliably than what we see on GeForce GPUs. But that's just based on my testing experience. So I'm obviously using like one set of GPUs and one, one platform. So I don't really know how that would go across a much wider range. But just anecdotally, you hear about like, I'm testing the GeForce GPUs for monitors, getting that experience. You're having issues with your Threadripper platform. Mm -hmm. And for me as well, like my Threadripper system, which is a 3970X, will not boot with three monitors, three 4K monitors connected to my 3090. Um, mm. So it'll only work with one. And mm -hmm. previously, I think when I was using ultra-wide plus a 4K monitor, those two would boot. So the ultra-wide plus 4K would boot, but two 4K monitors doesn't boot. So it's very, very bizarre issues. I, I think that's more the Threadripper compatibility issue related because triple 4K has worked on with that exact same GPU on say, you know, X670, which I was just testing. I'm like, God, this is frustrating. Like, is this an issue with the GPU or something? Not flick it over to the X670, works fine. So yeah, it, it's frustrating. Mm. And again, it's like I'm sitting here saying like I've had all these issues with GeForce GPUs, but I'm not even sure on that Threadripper system. Is that like a GeForce issue or is that a Threadripper issue on the on the yep. monitor test systems? Like, again, it could be like I swap out the GPU in the NVIDIA system for something different. I don't see those sorts of issues. Although I think the refresh rate defaulting thing is pretty universal across the GPUs. Yeah, that's right. I mean, on my 3970X system, I had a similar thing I've got. Again, though, it's the MSI monitors. It's the same monitor we've been talking about this whole time. Mm -hmm. On the 3970X system, I had three of them, 4K, and with a GeForce GPU, they all did work. It did post, but every now and then I would lose a screen or something, mm -hmm. or I'd get like okay. flickering on a screen, like the third screen would flicker tried mm -hmm. every you know all different things enabling disabling stuff like g-sync and all that kind of stuff tried everything couldn't fix the problem and then i installed a 6950 xt flawless like it, yeah. it remembered where all the windows were nothing ever dropped out it was it was flawless so mm -hmm. i mean you could at least draw the conclusion that radeon gpus have better compatibility with that thread platform than geforce but I have heard from a lot of people on more mainstream platforms that they've had those issues with triple 4K monitors with a GeForce GPU and not mm -hmm. a Radeon GPU. I think there's a monitor that came out recently as well. It was like the Samsung 57-inch, which I think is like double 4K resolution. So it's like mm -hmm. 7680 or something by 2160. And mm -hmm. I think it goes up to 240 hertz. And I believe there was a time where 
the early part of the monitor's release that you could only get the maximum refresh rate working on an AMD GPU. And it, for some reason, it just didn't work on the NVIDIA platform. I'm not sure whether that's been fixed, but I heard from a few people who were sort of saying like, hey, you need to look into this. Like, you know, you, you couldn't buy the monitor here yet. So there's really nothing I could do about that. But mm-hmm. I, I had heard a few things about that as well. So yeah, it's just, I, I find those sort of display connectivity things pretty frustrating when it's like you just want to get things to work but unfortunately for me at least in my workflow amd gpus don't work super well in premiere for some types of editing that i like to do in particular the quality comparisons where i'm trying to run like multiple 4k output uh side by side in the same video and edit that and like look at quality comparisons and stuff the geforce gpus at least for that i found to be quite a bit faster so it's sort of the trade-off of i can get the displays working properly every time i boot it if i switch to like a, a radeon gpu but then actually editing those videos is not as fast <laughs> or use the geforce gpu that just won't boot so i have to continue to unplug monitors but then for editing it is that little bit faster i'd ideally mm-hmm. like a, a solution that combines those two things and again like the radeon gpu is perfectly fine for other types of editing so if i was just like editing a normal video with just like b-roll or a-roll um, from my black magic camera or from from your footage works fine for that it's just like Again, using like a workstation system and there's a specific task that you do on a very regular basis and it's so specific to you and you just can't get it working optimally. Yeah, Mm. that's just sort of like the life of using those sorts of platforms and and things like that. Like I imagine other people are using the 3970X or the 5995WX, works fine for them. They're doing a slightly different thing. It's all fine. But then we just find like this one specific thing that it just breaks with which is yeah annoying mm. yeah i like to think that the 5995 wx was was a lot better for for other users than it was for me i mean i'm still despite all of this i'm still interested in upgrading to the zen 4 platform especially because of its okay. you know increased single thread performance the the black magic footage that i use for editing doesn't is it's weird it's not fully single thread limited like it does use at least in Premiere to edit it, it does spread that workload across multiple cores, but it also is limited by the basically the single thread performance across a, a few of those cores. So I could be editing that footage and you know, I'll see heavy usage across, say, 8 to 16 threads, and then the other threads will have lighter usage, which m- maybe is just the way that the decoding of that footage works. But I, I would expect that for me, at least, I would get quite a significant speed up for editing mm-hmm. that in Premiere with the faster single thread performance of Zen 4. So, yeah, I'm certainly keen on upgrading to that at some point and hopefully, yeah, the compatibility issues will be a little better this time around when using these these sort of systems. I imagine I'll swap out the GPU for something a bit newer as well. I- I'm not sure, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. As far as, like, the Zen 4 Threadripper CPUs go, ha- like, it, putting aside all of that stuff that we've just been talking about, what was sort of your mm-hmm. general... I mean, obviously, people can go and read the review and things, but... Yeah, how did you find testing them? Like, were you impressed with the performance? And obviously you've said you're going to move across to it, but or at least attempting to. So, yeah, how did that all go? <laughs> yeah, uh, the testing part of it went flawlessly, really. We didn't have any problems with it. Um, AMD did test the boards and the memory and all that stuff before they sent them out to make sure there'd be no problems. And that was certainly the case on our end. It all worked really well. And, mm-hmm. yeah, we're, we're keen to put it to use once I work out this little compatibility problem. But yeah, obviously very niche platform, very expensive, 
very few people in our audience are actually going to you know invest in them and and, and get them because mm-hmm. you well you really only need them if the workloads you're doing and first of all it's productivity workloads you're not getting this for gaming but you only need them if your application can utilize 24 32 64 cores uh, and and 96 in the 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 professional grade ones the, the pro series if that's not the case, then they're not really worth buying. You're better off with the mainstream platform, unless you you, know, you need something like all the extra PCIe lanes. So that mm-hmm. might be the case. For what we do, it's it's touch and go as to whether, you know, obviously, if you're actually investing in them and spending all the money, hard to say. I guess we'll have to see what encoding performance is like. Like We haven't really delved into that too much yet. But stuff like warp stabilization, it'll that that's really... Uh, where we have found Threadripper on our end anyway to be the most useful because I've recently just done a 79, a Z790 rather, motherboard roundup. And I, I would say there's about 50 or 60 clips in that video that needed to be warp stabilized. And on a 14900K or a 7950X, that's quite a bit of time. But you can basically mm-hmm. warp stabilize the entire, providing you have enough RAM, uh, video in one go. So we can apply like 20, 30, 40, 50 instances of warp stabilization simultaneously. Probably just get away with that with 128 gigs of RAM. You'd probably want 256 ideally, but it will do it without crashing and the system's still usable for other things like making a thumbnail. Whereas you've got to be pretty careful with the desktop CPUs when you're doing you know, a dozen or two dozen instances of warp stabilization. If you start opening up Photoshop in the background, you do risk crashing Premiere. So it, <laughs> yeah. it, it's, it's, it definitely speeds that side of things up, which is good. And yeah, whether it's worth spending many thousands of dollars for that will, will depend on you know, your specific yeah. use case. For editing, you know, as time's gone on, it's sort of, they've come up with new ways to utilize the more desktop line of CPUs, especially like moving more things over the GPU, GPU encodings improved. So I think as that's probably why... You know, Threadripper has become more niche because some of those workloads have started to, yeah, just move to using other things. Whereas, you know, if you're still doing, you know, there's all sorts of simulations and and work like that that Mm -hmm. can be multi-threaded quite significantly that you would use that sort of workstation processor for. I mean, even a lot of like GPU, um, you know, rendering in, in applications like Blender and things like that, you'd probably be more likely to do that on the GPU these days, um, mm-hmm. especially, you know, with the insane speed up you can get using like GeForce RTX stuff in Blender and, and those applications. It does, of course, depend on the app because sometimes you mm-hmm. might do simulations as well in the same app. But yeah, I mean, yeah, Threadripper is is very niche. And yeah, it used to be much more exciting when the desktop platform was just eight cores because then you could go up to like 16, 24 cores, mm. get a, a big speed up and things like Premiere, video encoding, all those applications would benefit significantly from just the jump from eight to 16. But yeah, now that we've got 16 on the on the desktop platform, it's, yeah, a lot more of those workloads have come across to that sort of platform, which is great because it's it's a cheaper platform and it is cheaper now than what Threadripper used to be. The boards are cheaper, the CPUs, they're, they're sort of similar in price, but, you know, still, you know, I think these days you can get a 7950X for like $500, which is yep. a great deal for that level of performance. So, you know, we're talking about a very niche platform and, you know, we've got a, a mailbag here from QH Freddy that says, Based on your experience, do you think AMD should try to lower the cost of entry of these Threadripper platforms so they have a larger user base to understand how the platform is performing in the field? And 
I mean, that would that would be nice, but I I don't know how much lower they could they could go with that sort of platform. Like you're effectively buying a service CPU, mm. and they can't cannibalize that market by selling effectively the same level of performance at a significant mm-hmm. discount. So that's one aspect. And then if you start cutting cores and things, like a 16 core Threadripper would be a very niche product. Like it would just be for people that want additional PCIe lanes. So, you know. Mm-hmm. What's what's really the point of that? So I think it's always going to be from here out like a fairly niche, exclusive thing for certain people. Um, would you agree? Yeah, that's absolutely the case, and I agree with everything you've, you've said there about cannibalizing the server and uh, and stuff like that. They they have to avoid that, and that was pretty much what they were running into as the CPUs got better and better. Yeah, it's unfortunate, and it would be nice to see this become a bit more mainstream than niche but yeah mm-hmm. there are reasons for why it is the way it is and, and realistically as we found with our workloads parts like the 7950x or x3d as we were using are just so good now that yeah really you're just missing out on a few pcie lanes but even even then we're able to make that work with some pretty high speed secondary storage still within that system and you know we largely work off a a NAS that's connected by 10 gigabit networking. So it, for our use case, the 7950X was certainly much more cost-effective and did work really well. It's unclear whether upgrading to the 7980X will be of benefit. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to see on that one. Yeah, I think it's a it's a borderline case, isn't it? Like one or mm-hmm. the other, you know, mm-hmm. probably could end up being being fairly similar in the end there. But you know, I, I think as well with you know this user base thing, like a larger user base that understand you know the platform and hopefully solve some of these problems. I imagine if you're a big firm that sort of is buying heaps of these Threadripper workstations for use across multiple different you know teams. Like let's say you're an animation um, or visual effects studio that is buying a whole bunch of workstations, like hundreds of workstations using Threadripper platforms that AMD is going to be much more willing to work with those platforms and studios to make sure the platform works for their their workloads and things. Because if mm-hmm. you bought like a hundred of them or a thousand of them and, you know, you're going to have a more direct line to AMD being like, hey, we've bought a thousand of these. Like we've spent literally hundreds of thousands of dollars on these CPUs. Like, you know, maybe try and solve some of these problems for us. Whereas we're just one person having, <laughs> having issues. Like it, it's going to be much less likely that, that those sort of things are, are, are nailed down. And also that I'm sure they would validate very specific, you know, workstation workflows for those people on those platforms during, you know, earlier access periods, which we've known they've done because they often advertise that during their, mm-hmm. you know, Threadripper marketing campaigns and things. So yeah, it kind of is what it is. I find Threadripper interesting. I imagine other people would be like, yeah, you know, I'm more of a gamer or my, my workloads are fairly light. So it's not really something I'd ever consider aside from, hey, that Cinebench number is really big. That's kind of cool. <laughs> Next topic that I want to talk about is the upcoming RTX 40 Super Series, which seems to be just blowing up with rumors, tons and tons of rumors. So I wanted to talk about what, I guess two different things, what we think will happen but also what we think should happen because i imagine there will be a fairly large gap <laughs> between mm-hmm. between those two things so you know the the super series there's currently rumors suggesting uh, an rtx 4080 super an rtx 4070 ti super which would be just what are they thinking and the rtx 4070 super as well so just the three gpus sort of in the mid to upper range of the the lineup 
the expectation being that the 4080 Super will use unlocked 8103, so the full die, slight improvement there. The 4070 Ti will move up to the 8103 die, and the 4070 Super will be sort of a different configuration of 8104. So that's the, what the rumors are suggesting. How much performance are we, you expecting from these products, like additional over the current products? <laughs> Oh, it's going to be very minor. I mean, it's a refresh, let's be honest. Or it's a, you know, I'm not saying it's a straight refresh as in it's the same product with, you know, a slightly different name. There's, but it's, yeah, it's a refresh of sorts. It's it's slightly modified. So yeah, I'm not expecting much in terms of performance. I'm really hoping the big update is more to do with price, but, you know. <laughs> I mean, are you expecting too much to happen with price? Like, are you expecting these to be better value? Uh, did I say expect? I meant hope. I might yeah. have used the wrong word there. Uh, <laughs> I hope that the the big update would be an improvement in cost per frame, an improvement to price, uh, and a noticeable one, not you know half a percent better. It's hard for me to get excited or care about this release. Let's just say that um, mm. they're refreshing something I'm already pretty unexcited about, especially in like a part like the 4080 and 4070 Ti. Uh, the 4070 was in comparison, reasonable value. So if they can make the 4070 super better value than the 4070 was, then that might be that might be something. Mm-hmm. But I can't I can't see the 4080 super being super exciting. I think as far as like what will happen in terms of what mm-hmm. NVIDIA is most likely to do, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I can't see like a major correction in in things like cost per frame. Like this is more no. Like that, I don't think they've released a fully unlocked 8103 product yet across laptops or desktops. So I imagine that there's a few of those GPU dies lying. I mean, there might might be a workstation card, to be fair. Um, but I imagine they've got a few of those dies lying around, and that's going to be the the 4080 Super, which would be, again, like the 4080 itself is pretty close to the full die. So mm-hmm. they're not going to be able to extract much additional performance there, and they certainly won't be able to change up the VRAM configuration or provide much more there. So that's going to be a, a very boring product, most likely. The 4070 Ti Super, you know, they have the chance there to, uh, the rumors are suggesting ch- swapping that out from 12 to 16 gigabytes of VRAM, which would be, well, that's what that card should have had <laughs> to begin with. Um, and obviously there's, you know, performance implications there as well. But if they continue to price that at $800, it's like, that's mm-hmm. you're just making what you should have made a year ago. So, mm-hmm. is that really? And that's that's what they should have made a year ago, factoring in the kind of weak, like pricing structure. So that's like it's it was a bad product, and then they're just making it like a normal kind of mediocre product, which is like I, I don't know. Is that exciting? Like, should I be getting yeah. interested about that? Yeah, likely a too little, too late type scenario. But you know, obviously we'll wait till we get them and see because we could be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and the 4070 Super as well there, I think the rumors are suggesting that will coexist with the 4070. So, mm-hmm. you know, the 4070 has crept down in price a little bit. It's around $515 for the cheapest cards. 550 is probably more typical in terms of USD. So, you know, if they launch that at 600 maybe the 4070 would get to like $500 US, which would be pretty reasonable but then if the 4070 super is not really providing much of a performance increase then it's not going to be worth getting yeah really that that scenario would be my expectation see the 40 the original 4070 drop down to probably more like 550 but 550 500 somewhere in there mm-hmm. and the, the supermodel come in and just take over that original price of 600 dollars and mm-hmm. offer a smidgen more performance and 
I imagine the same with the 4070 Ti Super. Like that is most likely to be an $800 GPU, I would have thought, um, mm-hmm. with the 4070 Ti just being basically getting rid of that and just swapping out for this one. But the mm-hmm. more interesting thing is what we think should happen. So if if we were in charge of NVIDIA and we were not in, in thinking about their investors, we weren't thinking about our executive pay packets, we were just thinking about consumers, what makes the best products for consumers, how would we fix the RTX 40 series via releasing new super GPUs? So I guess maybe we'll start with the RTX 4080 because that was a terrible, was it terrible? It was average, mediocre, certainly not well-priced, right? Yeah, it was 12 dollars I mean, the... I'm not sure exactly where you're going with this, but I, I'm pretty sure all roads are going to lead to official price cuts across the board. <laughs> yeah, I mean, pretty much right. Like for a 4070 yeah. Super, I guess we could bump that up to an 8102 die if we really wanted to and give it closer to what you'd expect from a 4080 Ti type 4090 cut down version. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen, but that would be... Yeah, you'd be breaking the entire product stack there, though. With well, where we are now, everything sort of needs to be kept where it... You just need, you just need a, official price cuts across the board, move everything down, and, you know, then, then it'll make more sense. I mean, would a 4080 Ti-type product, instead being the 4080 Super, that's cut down and cost $1,200, be that much of a destruction of their pricing structure? Like, it wouldn't be... Yeah, I think the 4080 and 4090 are fairly similar in terms of their, you know, value because the 4090 is quite a bit faster. But in previous generations, they had released like a 3080 Ti that was mm-hmm. reasonably close to the 3090, but a lot cheaper. So a 4080 Ti that was like, you know, the 8102 die cut down more, maybe offers offers you less VRAM and things like that. They've done that before. It's just they're not willing to do that now. So something mm-hmm. like that could work, but, I mean, they're not going to do it. Yeah, I mean, do you think it needs, like, additional VRAM or anything? Like, it launched obviously with 16 uh, gigabytes. Is that fine at the price, or would yeah, you have liked fine. to see more? Well, at the price, I would like to see more. How useful that'll be is hard to say. Realistically, I think 16 gigabytes of VRAM for this generation is probably going to be the sweet spot, and we'll see them age quite well, mm-hmm. where VRAM will be a non-issue and a non-topic. The VRAM... The 12 gigabytes of VRAM on the 4070, T, uh, yeah, 4070 Ti, obviously not good for the price. The 4070, it's like 12 should be okay-ish. Uh, and then obviously the big VRAM sticking point for me for this generation was the $400 4060 uh, Ti and even, mm-hmm. even the 4060 to a degree, but primarily the $400 4060 Ti uh, that should have had, I don't know, 12 minimum but yes, like 16 gigabytes is fine. I don't think we're going to be seeing high-end cards run out of VRAM with uh, with 16 gigabytes anytime soon because we're not seeing too many new cutting-edge games with like high-resolution texture pack options and things like that. So, which is disappointing because a, a lot of games do look really cool with the high-quality texture packs, but we're just not seeing that much of that. Um, I I don't think we've seen much of that this year, have we? No, there's been a few games that obviously use more than 8 gigabytes of VRAM, but certainly not like something that really utilizes a 16 gigabyte GPU. There's been, mm-hmm. you know, you, you turn on some features like ray tracing, uh, frame generation uses a bit of VRAM as well, and you start creeping up more and more. You know, there are games that with those features enabled would use, you know, 12 gigabytes or even a bit over 12 gigabytes of VRAM. But yeah, we're yet to see those sorts of games designed with, you know, super high resolution 16 gig texture packs for people that have 
you know, 4080s and mm-hmm. 4090s, those sorts of products, which is, yeah, again, like you've bought a 4090, it's got 24 gig of VRAM. You'd be hoping that developers would be, you know, utilizing that because they're producing path tracing, which really can only run on that mm-hmm. GPU. So you'd be hoping that, yeah, games would would also use VRAM. But yeah, it's just not, not at, at least not at that level yet. Yeah, so I think I think 4080 Super, 16 gigabytes is fine. 4070 Ti Super, can't believe that's going to be a thing, to be perfectly honest. But if they do come up with the worst product name ever, 12 gigabytes, even if that thing comes in at the same MSRP as the original, yeah, 12 gigabytes is pretty bad there, I would have thought. So you'd want a minimum of if 16 if possible. Yeah, and I think it gives NVIDIA an opportunity to correct that product with this, the Super Series. Like mm-hmm. the card should have launched with 16 gigabytes of VRAM at $800 and it sounds like the 4070 Ti Super based on the rumors. Don't know whether that will be the final product or not, but at least they are considering upgrading that to a 16 gigabyte product, which would make a lot more sense if you're spending $800. And on top of that, they're expecting us, you know, a modest, small performance improvement at the same price, which is like, whatever. But I think mm-hmm. you know, a big sticking point for that car, at least in your review, was the fact that it only came with 12 gigabytes of VRAM. And so, yeah, they have sort of the opportunity there to give people what they what they should have been given and mm-hmm. potentially... I mean, I guess there's not too much reason to produce a 4060 Ti Super because there's already the 8 gig and 16 gigabyte variants. The more sensible option would just be to discontinue the 8 gig card and make mm-hmm. the 16 gig model the only option that's available. Um, At a low point, you know, like meet halfway on price or something. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't think it can, like it's just not going to work at $500 anymore because the 4070 is nearly $500. It just makes like zero sense at that price anymore. I think it's down to around 450 maybe approaching 400 now, um, which is more reasonable, but still not amazing. But yeah, like 4070 Ti Super, that 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 card to me seems like it's the card that makes the most sense to make a super version of. Because if mm-hmm. you can move it up that die, give it a bit more performance in VRAM, you start talking about a fairly different product. Like it's not just the 4070 Ti plus 5%. It's the 4070 Ti plus more memory bandwidth, plus more VRAM. If you got that 4070 Ti with more memory bandwidth and VRAM at launch, would your review have been more positive than it was well it definitely would have been more positive it's hard to <laughs> it's it, yeah it's, it's a hard to comment on this stuff without having actually you know done the full analysis based on those specifications mm-hmm. and compared to what was available at the time but yeah it, it obviously would have been more favorable and the big problem for the 4070 ti is obviously the well now it wasn't at the time of release because i think it came did it come before the 7900 xt I actually don't recall. It was pretty um, close. I think the 4070 Ti was very similar in timing. I'm yeah, not sure. I, I don't remember the exact dates, but it, it's irrelevant. The The point is the big problem for the 4070 Ti, because I'm looking at prices now and it's like just under, like you're looking at typically about 770, whereas mm-hmm. typically you're looking at paying about right now 750. So less for a 7900 XT. And mm-hmm. it's got 20 gigabytes of VRAM versus 12 and is generally a faster performing card. Yeah, you miss out on, you know, all the usual sort of G-Force features and things. Some are important, mm-hmm. some aren't. Uh, but I would be buying the 7900 XT over a 4070 Ti. Yeah, and I think in, in video as well as a company that doesn't like AMD to win on anything. So even even though we sit here and say, okay, you know, 
the two, you know, the the seventy nine hundred XT is a little faster. It's got more VRAM, but you know, Nvidia has all those features that they can probably charge us a, a premium for in some way. Nvidia still wants to make their cards generally better in all areas, which is why products like the forty seventy have dropped in price after the launch of the seventy eight hundred XT, because that card comes out at five hundred dollars US. It's the faster card, but then you know, you factor in ray tracing, the performance gap does reduce a little bit the you know you've got dlss and those things and nvidia pretty much straight away was like okay 550 it is for the rtx 4070 and even today it's dropped a little bit further than that which you know there's that card sells pretty well like there's really no reason that they had to drop the price of that product except that they want to continue to get maximum amount of sales so Mm -hmm. a product like the 4070 ti super again that name so bad but anyway 4070 ti super if it fixes the VRAM, which you can't just fix via a price drop, it allows them to compete better with that 7900 XT. They don't have to worry about, oh, people are going to be considering 20 gig versus 12 gig or slightly different performance you know, characteristics and things. They can launch that product and be like, yeah, it's faster. It's got, it's got a reasonable amount of VRAM. It's got our feature set. This is the card to get. We're done. We're marketing it that way. We're all good. Mm-hmm. Um, and they seem, Nvidia seems to like to do that. Obviously, with some products, you know, the 4080 is still overpriced, but they haven't been willing to do too much price cutting there. So the higher up in the stack you go, the less willing they are to do that. But certainly, mm-hmm. in the more competitive, you know, the the 4060 Ti eight gigabyte is like three hundred and thirty dollars at the moment, and it launched at four hundred dollars and was destroyed. So I guess people complain about the the pricing of these products and thinks that Nvidia do, doesn't listen necessarily to these complaints but I they see at least from my perspective they seem to listen in mm-hmm. small small amount of listening small little bit <laughs> uh, they do listen in some way so 16 gigabytes to 20 gigabytes is really a non-issue at the moment and I think it will that'll be true for years to come so it's not like we'll be saying in those head-to-head comparisons, oh, this one has 20 gigs though, this one only has 16. It's worth noting, but it's not really something that you place much weight on because I just mm-hmm. don't think the extra four gigabytes is that relevant. I guess the other question I have around the Super Series is we've just seen NVIDIA's uh, financial report come out for the most recent quarter, which as you would expect, data center, AI products, service type stuff has just blown up for NVIDIA over the last couple of quarters. They're talking about like two, three X sort of gains, even more than that quarter over Mm. quarter. So not even like year over year, like from one quarter to the next, they're making like double the revenue in those sorts of areas, which makes me think like we, we did this video at Computex talking about how AI NVIDIA's push into AI and getting more AI sales is potentially bad for gamers because they'd lose focus on the gaming market because all their revenues in AI, they can just be like, whatever, we don't care about gaming anymore. And this has continued to happen since then with more quarters of financial reports since Computex, more money is flowing into data center and AI. Gaming in the last quarter was up only 15% quarter over quarter, which is a fairly small improvement relative to the data center stuff. It is up 80% year over year. So that was pre the 40 series compared to now well after the 40 series. So that would have Mm -hmm. had an impact there. But do you see things like, you know, the massive amounts of money NVIDIA is making from AI? Is that going to influence how they're pricing things like the Super Series? You know, they've obviously planned to make these products, but are they now looking at their financials being like, well, we can really do whatever we want there. Like it doesn't matter anymore. How do you see that? 
Yeah, well, that's a big uh, contributing factor as to why I'm not too hopeful that we're going to see much of an improvement in stuff like cost per frame with these new super graphics cards. I think it's just, if anything, it's more of a, which usually is sort of a marketing stunt to refresh the lineup and be like, hey, there's these new exciting models, these mm-hmm. super cool models that that offer you all this new stuff. You guys might want to buy those. And in reality, they're you know, barely any better than the original models. And often when the Super Series comes in, you're better off buying the original model because it's discounted and therefore it's better in terms of value. And yeah, if if data center AI wasn't a thing and they hadn't seen a big enough improvement in profits for gaming, then yeah, they'd be much more aggressive with the Super Series, but that's not the case. So they have really no incentive to do so. And therefore, I don't think they will. But like I said, happy to be pleasantly surprised on that one. But yeah, all indications are it's going to be pretty underwhelming. Yeah, I mean, the da- the data center products are making what, like 75, 80% margins in some circumstances, which is mm-hmm. you know much larger than what they're able to get on the gaming side. The gaming side still has pretty significant margins. Like they're, they're not small, like they can make those products cheaper if they wanted to. But if you're talking about reducing margins to say 40% for gaming, when your AI products are getting 80% plus margins, you know, there's not going to be too much interest in them in making those gaming products cheaper. Like they're just going to be like, whatever. Like, you know, I, I think they're going to do, my, my opinion is they're going to do the bare minimum to make those cards more attractive. So yeah. if they see a product that's not selling super well, they're going to do as little as possible in the current market to make those cards slightly more attractive to get slightly more sales. They're not going to do a big push to be like, hey, we want we want to sell millions and millions of these new GPUs. It's just going to be, okay, we need them to be 5% better relative to AMD in terms of all aspects. So we'll make a card that's 5% better. That's basically mm-hmm. how I see that they're going to do that. You know, NVIDIA does still have to compete with themselves in some ways. So they still have to convince people who have an existing GeForce GPU who don't consider buying AMD products to buy another GeForce GPU. So, you know, there's often this discussion about like, well, AMD is not very competitive in area XYZ, so NVIDIA has got no incentive to to do anything. I think that's partially true, but they still do have to, you know, someone who's bought a 2060 still has to be convinced that a 40 series product makes sense to buy. But again, Mm -hmm. I expect them to do the least amount possible the the barest of improvements to convince that sort of buyer and potentially banking on things like a 4070 ti and 4080 that didn't get the best reception at launch you know can can they flip those reviews by making it 10 percent better than the existing models i don't know like i don't know whether that would change our opinion but it may change the opinion of other reviewers that are sort of you know more on the fence with those type of products and get the more hype, like you talked about previously, that you know they're basically just doing this to generate hype and interest in marketing. So if they can succeed yeah, with right. that, then they'll see it as a success. Yeah, and if games like Alan Wake Two, if someone with a twenty sixty really wanted to play that game, and that wasn't enough to convince them to upgrade, then hopefully you know the Super Series helps get them over the line. But yeah, you know, Nvidia has pretty much everything on their side, like you mm-hmm. know more demanding games, the hardware aging. You know, for a lot of these new upcoming games. Well, if you had a Pascal GP, for example, you've had to upgrade, right? If you wanted to play any of these games, they're just 
pretty well mm-hmm. unplayable. I mean, we've had that discussion. They don't really have to do too much to convince those people to upgrade. Time kind of takes care of that for them. I guess they just want to make sure they upgrade to a GeForce GPU, as you say, and not a Radeon GPU. I think they want as well to encourage people to purchase their product at the right price, like the highest possible price. Like instead of, you know, the longer that you wait, the more likely mm-hmm. the GPUs are to come down in price and you get a better deal upgrading from your Pascal GPU, whereas they want to incentivize people to buy right now at the highest margins, the highest price, which, you know, even today we see a lot of comments on like the Hard Runbox channel about people that have products like the 1070, for example, which is a very, you know, it's not a very fast product. You're certainly not going to be playing games like Alan Wake 2 as an example at anywhere near an, a good level of experience. Um, whether or not it even works is is questionable in that game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people are holding out because the, the lower price tier just hasn't improved as much. Whereas, you know, I think people who previously were buying sort of $600, $800 type of GPUs, they have got reasonable amounts of performance improvements, which is sort of incentivized people to buy things like 4070 TIs, which again, we wouldn't necessarily recommend, but people are buying them. So mm-hmm. yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do there and how pricing for those sorts of things falls, how it all falls into place. But yeah, not expecting this to be like a revolutionary, uh, like a huge fix for the 40 series in terms of its pricing cost per frame. It'll realign everything to where it should be. That probably won't happen and we'll have to wait for the 50 series products to see exactly what they do in terms of of pricing and things because yeah i imagine that you know with economic factors and things at the moment that they can't they you know the 50 series comes out brings a you know more significant performance increase i can't imagine they'll be able to you know turn a 4070 into a thousand dollar product like i I think that would be Mm. hard for them to to achieve that in in the current market and, mm-hmm. and circumstances but then i say that and you know people will clip that clip and then the 50 series will come out and it will do that and then i'll look like an idiot so who knows right yeah you're setting yourself up there for sure all right let's take a break we'll come back boring life update we'll see what's happening all right and we're back to chat about again like usual our very uninteresting lives outside of you know, making content for the channel, which has really just occupied most of my life. So what's been happening, Steve? Anything interesting going on? Uh, well, I know last week I couldn't talk about it because I was dedicating my life to testing Threadripper and all things Threadripper mm-hmm. related. That's not the case this week. So I've got outside and done a few things. The weather's been good. I think about two weeks ago, I mentioned that I bought a jack for my mower, which was exciting mm-hmm. things in my life. So <laughs> yeah. for those of yep. you who don't know, I have a, an American-made zero-turn mower. It's called the Hustler X1. I think it weighs in the vicinity of about 800 kilos or 800 kilograms. So it's a big boy. Mm-hmm. And the deck alone weighs like probably 200, 250 kilos. So changing the blades or sharpening the blades or whatever is quite a mission to get it off the ground. And because it's a zero-turn, you have to be uh, quite... It's quite dangerous jacking it up because the wheels can spin around and the the hydraulically driven back wheels can just turn. You can lock them. But anyway, it's been risky in the past. So I bought a a zero-turn mower jack, which I didn't actually know was a thing. So I I talked about this previously that I bought one uh, and you strap the front wheels on it. It all jacks it up really well. Anyway, I did that. 
all went super well, very easy, very safe. Uh, I did a bit of like side to side wobble testing and I tried to like drop it off the jack by giving it a bit of a hard time. And no, it was, it was really good. That said, I don't stick my head under there because if the jack Mm -hmm. does fail, you're definitely not surviving that, but I've got quite long arms. So I can reach the centrally located spindle to undo that without sticking my head under there. So Dropped the three nuts off the bottom of the blades, got the three blades out, sharpened them with a flat disc on the grinder, stuck them back, and it's cutting like a dream. All still really well balanced, no vibrations, no wobbles, and perfect grass cutting. So that's exciting stuff for me. Uh, And the whole process took 15 minutes, whereas previously it's taken over an hour because just jacking it up safely and making sure it's all secure and it's not going to cut your arm off when it falls down or something like that. So you just... You drive it onto this jack and then you strap the front um, like spindle wheels to it and then just pump the jack and it lifts the whole thing right up. Like basically, yeah, on probably more aggressive than like a 45 degree angle. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, it works really well. So I'm excited about that. Put it back down nice and, and controlled like. And then I nice. did the straps and reversed it off. So that was cool. And I've been working on the project under the deck. I've now been installing the sheet metal, which I'm using for the walls, and that's going better than to plan. So I guess it's going to plan, but it's easier than I thought it would be. Oh, nice. And it's looking good. So I actually have to put some photos in the BTS section on the Discord server. But yeah, it's quite quite enjoyable uh, doing that. Um, yeah, it's fun working with the sheet metal, with welding that in and... Yeah, it's very strong. So I'll be able to mount things like hang ladders and shovels. I'll be able to put in the hangers anywhere on the wall. That's kind of the cool thing about it um, because the whole wall is structural in a sense for that sort of stuff. So be very flexible. So I'm excited about it. Uh, But other than that, I haven't had too much time to get out there and and do that sort of stuff um, just because, you know, uh, I'm going away shortly. So I've been trying to get a bit of content uh, sort of built up so when I do go away, the channel doesn't completely die. Of course, you'll be you'll you'll be here, so you know you 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 I'll keep an eye on things. No, I'll, yeah. I'll take a holiday at the same time. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> don't do that to no, me. No. I'll be here. I'll be making sure that the channel goes all right. Um, yeah, my week again, not too much has been happening. Again, been more focused on content and you know doing that sort of thing. But on the weekend, on Sunday night, I did watch the Cricket World Cup final, which was in India, Australia versus India. India were massive favourites to win. They had had gone undefeated in the tournament up until that point. Australia had gone pretty well. They lost their first two matches, but then won the next, I think it was eight in a row, including the semi-final to get into the final. But uh, I really didn't give them much chance or much hope. So I was sort of just going in, I think the match started at about 7pm on the Sunday night, and I was just like, okay, whatever. Yeah, I'll just I'll see what's happening. I'll probably go to bed early, just having conceded that they've lost, and that's that's that. But they they ended up um, bowling first to India and kept India to a relatively low total. So I was like, oh, okay, you know, we're in with the chance here, we're in with the chance. And then yeah, in the second innings, they ended up yeah tense, you know, fight, but um, they ended up winning, which was quite a surprise. And yeah, very exciting to win. You know, Australia is quite a dominant team in in cricket, in at least in these sort of World Cup tournaments. I think they've won six previous tournaments, which is way more than any other country. I think the next country has like two wins. So Australia is obviously a dominant team at the moment. I think they've won five of the last seven as well. So going pretty well. But yeah, to beat India in India 
with India's probably best ever team against, you know, there were 100,000 Indian fans. It was like Australia did, did anything and it was just like total silence in the stadium, um, which was, yeah, very, very interesting. And, yeah, a good win for Australia because I was, yeah, really expecting India to win. So, yeah, it was up till about 3 a.m. on it would have been Monday morning watching the conclusion of that match and come away with the win and, yeah, very nice. So I'm not usually someone that stays up super late to watch sports. I've done it occasionally for, you know, the big events like mm-hmm. the Ashes in cricket, which is Australia versus England. If you're not super familiar with cricket, that's a big match considering, you know, we're two, the two main rivals there, Australia and India, are significant rivals as well. And obviously India, you know, they've got well over a billion people to pick a, a cricket team from. Australia's got 25 million people. And I think we punch well above our weight in in that sort of global tier sport because mm-hmm. you know we've talked on the podcast previously about sports like afl australian rules football and we don't really talk about it but we have got rugby league here as well um those aren't too much of like a world stage game like no one mm. else really plays australian rules so it's kind of like we can just be the best at that and always have like the best competition to watch but with things like cricket we're always playing the other nations and yeah, you know, yeah i find that sort of enjoyable but you know you talk about cricket and people are like, I don't like that sport, it's boring and things like that, which, yeah, I understand that, that's fair enough. But, you know, the one-day cricket, I find that enjoyable. I enjoy tests and, yeah, got a good win, which sort of sets up my, improves my interest for the upcoming, you know, summer matches in Australia. We were, I think we're not playing particularly exciting opponents, but, you know, get a good win in the World Cup, yeah, it gets you a bit pumped, I think. So I enjoyed watching that. And that does it, I think, for the Hard Run Box podcast for episode 14. Yeah, just a nice one. Enjoyed your little rant mm-hmm. there about uh, AMD Threadripper and the, the issues that you're still facing with that platform. Yeah. And hopefully after this podcast, you can get that sorted. Fingers crossed. Uh, I hope it's not a, a not a rough day. I hope <laughs> I hope either HDMI works and it works well or the Radeon GPU solves it and we can, we can just move forward and, yeah, maybe there's a firmware update or something I need to do on the MSI monitors or some sort of platform update we need to do on Threadripper to get the GeForce GPUs working with that platform monitor combination. Weird one, but anyway, that's computers for you. I know we're just going to end this. I was just about to end this podcast, but even if you use HDMI, there's only one HDMI port on most of those NVIDIA that's GPUs. Right. So your, yeah. your multi-monitor setup, even if you do use HDMI, it's not like that's a real fix. Like you still do need it to work over DisplayPort. And that's the exact reason why... I knew that was a troubleshooting thing that I could do, but I'm like, I can also just go back over to the gigabyte monitors and that sort of confirms my suspicions there because mm-hmm. if HDMI does work, it's like, yay, that's kind <laughs> of useless. Yeah. Anyway. We'll see what happens there. Let, let us know in the comments below. I'm talking to you, Steve, to uh, what happens we'll there, what the, final, what the final solution there was. And yeah, mm-hmm. I will... Yeah, I'll just be editing this podcast. So pretty pretty cruisy day, I think, for the rest, rest of my day. So en- Enjoy your day. Should be nice. All right. That's it. Thanks for listening. Podcast episodes come out first on the audio stream. So if you want to sign, you know, just click subscribe via Spotify or Pocket Cast or whatever the apps are, Apple Podcasts. That's the best way to get the, the show. And also if you want to leave comments, the YouTube video, which typically comes out within within 24 hours usually, um, that's the best place for your comments, if not our Discord community for Patreon and Floatplane members. So yeah, that's it. Thanks for watching and we'll see you in the next one. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.